Thank you for listening to this message from Life in the Sun Christian Fellowship. We hope you'll be inspired to honor God and make disciples. All right, we're going to the second lesson of the seminar. It's called Healthy Pattern for Parenting, Building Your Child's Confidence. And one of the things uh, that I know every parent, I know that it was my desire, is we want to see children who grow up and are confident because we're not always going to be there. Believe me, when they took off for college, I had to hold my breath and I thought, Lord, <laughs> I hope it all works out. You know, I hope I did what was right. And that, um, and, and part, of, part of building their confidence is, first of all, to help them find out who they are, their identity. And then from there, as they, as they begin to know who they are, who God has created them to be, and come to terms with that, then they can figure out what their destiny is. And so it's, it's about identity and destiny. And we as parents have the responsibility for a short period of time, I mean, it's really short, it's like 18 years, that's it, you know, to build a child's confidence. In fact, even before that, to pour into them so that they can feel that they can go into the world and that they are confident, not in themselves, but confident in the Lord. I want to make that very clear. You know, there's a big difference between self-confidence and having confidence in the Lord. Self-confidence is like that train. There's, a, there's, a, there's a, a book, and the train is trying to go up the hill, and he goes, maybe I can. I think I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. And it's, we don't want to put our kids in a place where they are striving to try to be self-confident or trying to do rather than just be. Does that make sense? It's so important. And so how we respond and how we're modeling also, if they see you know, that we're workaholics and we're striving in our own effort, they're going to do the same thing. But confidence in the, in the Lord is summed up in this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. It's not in your notes. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 2 through 6. Paul writes, you are our letter, written in our hearts, known and read by all men, being manifested that you are a letter of Christ cared for by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God, who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. And so one of the greatest challenges and greatest rewards is to be able to build into our children the ability to have confidence in the Lord. And that when they leave home, when they're on their own, we know that they're relying on God. Now, how do we do this? I'm going to talk about three ways that uh, we're going to talk about three ways that this can happen. The first one is called meaningful modeling. I'm going to read the scripture from Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 10. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God is the, one, the only true God. So love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Memorize his laws and tell them to your children over and over again. Talk about, all, talk about them all the time, whether you're at home or walking along the road or getting to bed at night or getting up in the morning. Write down copies and tie them to your wrists and foreheads to help you obey them. Write these laws on the door frames of your homes and on your town gates. What this is saying is that we, 
need to be modeling for our children all the time. It says when we're walking, when we're laying down at night, when we're getting up in the morning. The first thing is that every parent is a model. You know, Paul encourages others to follow his example. All throughout the scripture, Paul will say, follow my example, follow my example, follow my example. He was one of the fathers in faith, right? And so what we're saying to our children is follow my example. As we walk with God, they walk with God. Modeling is probably the easiest form of teaching. You know, it's probably the easiest form. You know, when you want to teach someone how to bake a cake, you know, I probably bring my daughter next to me and say, okay, you know, you put half of this and then you put a little more of that. And they're watching, right? If I were to say, say it over, just tell them verbally, this is how you do it. It doesn't mean as much. Let me give you an example. People copy what you do, not what you say. So for example, we'll just do a little exercise. Some of you already know this, but just take your fist, hold it up in the air like this. Now take your fist and I want you to place it on your chin. <laughs> Is that your chin? Yeah, yeah so some <laughs> See, people yeah. copy what you do, not yeah, what you say. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, they learn from what they see more than what they hear. And that's why it's so important. And, and what are some other things that we should model? We should model forgiveness. You know, would you forgive me? And seeing parents forgiving each other, um, bearing up with each other. You know, when it's so hard and, you know, uh, one person is moving slow or they're not getting with the program, just everybody being patient with that one person in the family. Um, modeling how to live according to the word. What does the word say? Do they see you doing it? You know, you, you preach the word, but then they, they look to see, is our mom and dad doing that? I remember oh, years ago, gosh, maybe 20 years ago, Mark and I were going through a hard time in ministry, and um, it, was very, it was a very hard time for us. And I said to him, the kids are watching how we handle this. The kids are watching. And I knew that how we handled it was going to make a difference in whether they walked with God or not. Because at that time, I could have thrown in the towel and said, forget Christianity. Seriously. I was at a point where I thought, I don't want to serve. I don't care. You know, but it was like I said to him, the kids are watching how we handle this, whether we forgive people, whether we're going to move on, whether we're going to keep persevering. And so that's important. You know, I want to say some of us may feel like it's too late, like we blew it, like we didn't, we weren't the model that we could have been. But again, I want to say God is a God who redeems. And he can go back and redeem our relationship with our children as we ask them to forgive us and to say, you know, I blew it. And I need you to, and I'm asking you to forgive me. You know, one of the things, the reason why we ask children to forgive us is not that I think they will forgive us, you know, probably 99% of them will. It's, It's so that they have a chance to release the bitterness in their heart. They'll, they'll, they'll forgive us. But if we never ask them and we never put it out there, you know, I, I, when I said to my kids, I'm so sorry I rushed you. Would you please forgive me? It gives my girls a chance to release any bitterness that's in their heart toward me. And so we have to speak those words, will you forgive me, and give them a chance to forgive you. And they may say, well, you know, right now I'm so hurt. And I don't want, and we can say, that's good, that's fine. But at least we've put it in their court to, to release it. The other thing is that when it comes to modeling, 
is that we also need to correct incorrect modeling. Let's say we, we've been doing it wrong. We need to go back and correct it. You know, we need to say, I've been doing this wrong. We need to, or some things are going to change in me or some things are going to change in our family. I remember when we first started instituting this principle called first-time obedience. Mark really just went back to the girls and, and said to them, you know, we are going to now change some things and we're going to wor work on first-time obedience and this is how it's going to go. And, uh, and he explained that. And we're going to talk about that in the whole discipline talk. The second thing is to be genuine, vibrant, examples of a balanced and consistent life. By modeling this, again, we're talking about kids watching us and how consistent are we in, in what we say? How consistent are we in tithing, in going to church, in uh, going to life group, in uh, getting together and helping people? Um, I know the perfect example of a person who lived a balanced life was Jesus. When you look at his life, he knew how to rest, and he knew how to do. He was, you know, he would feed the 5,000, and then he would go away and rest, and he would go away and pray. And then there were times where he also uh, um, put into practice this principle, silence and solitude. We have a generation, because of all the social media, that they don't know how to be quiet with no stim nothing stimulating them except what's inside. And we used to um, practice, and I'd say to the girls, each of you go to your room and you know, just be by yourself. Not be together, but be by yourself. And I notice now, I was talking to Nicole, that she'll go into her room, she'll read a book by herself, doesn't need to have conversation with me or anybody else in the house. Tara's the same way. That the, you know, I'll say, what are you doing? She goes, oh, I just went to a coffee shop just to be by myself. There, there's a sense of showing them that there is a balance that needs to happen in life. We don't want to get our kids involved in everything that all they do is keep going and going and going. You know, we want to teach them some of the disciplines that Jesus modeled, prayer, rest, serving, but also silence and solitude. And we also need to teach our kids how to, as, as, we're, as we are showing them a balanced and consistent life, how to have boundaries, how to set their own boundaries, how to say no when their friends call them all the time, how to say no to media. Um, so so we at, we've been putting boundaries around them all their life, and now we have to teach them how to put boundaries around themselves and to set their limits. The next thing is to be authentic. Part of modeling is to be authentic. The word authentic means to be real. And so look at this scripture in Hebrews 12, 5 through 11. Oh, no, I'm sorry, go back. That's the other one. Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 10. I just read that. But be real. Again, I say that children are not looking for perfection. They are looking for consistency. They are looking for consistency. We need to be the same. And we also need to realize that we fall, but they also fall. They may not be consistent. But instead of calling them on it, we need to... We need to encourage them to get up again and to continue being consistent. It's not how many times they fall, but how quickly they get up. And just a little side note on that. How quickly our children recover is dependent on how 
we address mistakes that they make. I'll give you an example. You know, my dad is probably one of the, the most forgiving men that I know. Constantly extending grace. And when you have eight kids, you've got to extend a lot of grace. Because, <laughs> you know, we make a lot of mistakes. And I was there when my siblings would make mistakes and I made mistakes. And he, this is what I would hear from him. He said, did you learn from it? Yeah, okay, you know. Or he would say, how we respond to your brother or your sister and the mistake they make is going to determine how, if they're successful in life. And what I saw was a man who modeled constant grace. What that taught me and I, is that whenever I sin against God, whenever I fall, I'm so quick to go into the presence of the Father because I know I'll be forgiven and I know I can keep going. But when people come to me in counseling and they have a difficult time forgiving themselves or they just, they just can't forgive others, I usually ask them this question, how were mistakes handled in your family? Where great, was grace extended? Because it's important to know through the relationships in our family that we are tolerant, we're consistent, we're authentic, we're real. Yes, we fall, but can we extend grace to each other? And that will allow our kids to get up when, and when they fall and we're not there and know that I can keep going, that my, my Heavenly Father forgives me, I can keep going. And so it's not how many times our kids are going to fall or how, we, how many times we fall, but how quickly can we get up and receive the forgiveness from the Father. So we're talking about meaningful modeling, and we're looking at uh, three qualities. Uh, the next one is loving limits. The verse that's listed there says Hebrews 12, and that is a relevant passage, but I felt like the Lord gave me uh, another picture that I think would be more appropriate. And if you would just put Genesis next to Hebrews. And isn't God the one who established loving limits in the Garden of Eden? He said, everything I have provided for you here is for you. This is your home. You can eat from any tree that you want, a beautiful place, Life was great. He said, but there's one tree I don't want you to eat from, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that was the loving limit because he knew that to do that was harmful to them. And yet it was a necessary choice to exist in the Garden of Eden because otherwise they didn't really have choice. And without choice, there isn't really love. And it's all about God wanting to develop a loving relationship with people. And so he had to offer choice. But he set a loving limit. He said, don't go there. That's not good for you. In the same way, uh, we need to demonstrate love to our kids by having loving limits. Loving limits demonstrate love. Let me go to this next one. They demonstrate love and they have a purpose. So when my kids were little, uh, we lived next to a road with a lot of traffic at our house. And you've been around Guam long enough, you know, sometimes you see dogs and cats on the road. And I wanted my kids to be protected. And so I wanted them to play in the yard, but they needed to have a boundary. So I walked them out in the yard, my oldest, one day when she's like three years old. I said, you see that power line up there? And she looked up, it crosses the front of our yard. I said, you are never to cross that line. You're never to go and play on that side of the yard because it's next to the road. You have to play on this side. If you ever cross that line, and I said it as firmly and lovingly, yet with all the authority as a father that I could. I said, if you cross that line, I will spank you. Now, was I trying to be mean? No, I was trying to protect because I love her. 
And I know this side is safe, this side is not when you're three years old. And so loving limits demonstrate love and they have a purpose, which is to protect. Loving limits also help provide the best environment for kids to learn and grow. A study was done, just imagine this. Imagine an inner city school and there's lots of traffic And the little kids, imagine kindergartners and first graders out on the playground during recess. A study was done when the playground had no fence, but there's traffic out on the road. The kids kind of stayed away and didn't feel safe. But the school later built a chain link fence around the playground, and then they could get near to the edge of the playground, but they were happy, they felt safe. And they could run around and play and giggle and play tag and chase each other and get near the boundary but there was a clear boundary there that provided protection for them. When those boundaries are clear, your children will feel safer and actually feel freer to play within that realm as opposed to having no boundary at all. You know, did I cross a line? Do I not cross a line? Is it okay? If I do, do I get in trouble? If I, you know, and so there's this ambiguity. But if there's clarity, then they're at peace because they know this is where I can be or where I can't be. And really, we have to be consistent in where that line is because if the line keeps changing, they feel insecure and they don't know where the boundary is. So, so when, when you set a rule, which maybe everybody agrees on, you have to keep that rule and keep it consistent so that they f- do feel safe that it's not going to change. So the next thing we, is sustained support. So when we provide the, rep- the support that they need, then they will build confidence. And uh, we're looking at the prodigal son, Luke 15, 11 through 20. I'll read that to you. Jesus commanded, continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen country who sent him to his, to his fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. So sustained support, what does that look like? It's unending endorsement. When our kids are going through difficult times, they need to know that we are there for the long haul, that we are not going to abandon them even when they fall and they fall and they fall. They can know that mom and dad are going to be there even as they go through the difficult times. And so here the father, uh, it says, you know, the father saw him from a long ways, which says to me the father was looking The father was looking and waiting for the son to come home. And when the son came home, you you don't read anything in that scripture that says he started to explain to his father. He did say, this is what I'm going to say to my father, but he didn't even have a chance to say it. 
the father gave him full acceptance before the son could even say, Dad, I'm sorry, I blew it. That's what sustained support looks like, unending endorsement, that the father was able to, to separate the son, uh, the sin and the sinner. He was able to love the son. He hated the sin because, you know, back then when you asked for your inheritance, basically what you were saying is, I wish you were dead because you did not get your inheritance until the father passed away. But what he was saying is, I want my inheritance. And here's another thing that you wouldn't really necessarily know, but back then, men wore the long robes, right? It says the father ran. Now, in order for the father to run, he would have to pick up his robe. And this is a picture when he ran in the village. Now, when, you, when, when the son left, he did not just sin against the father. He sinned against the whole village. The whole village was involved in this. They knew that this son had uh, dishonored his dad, that he took his, his uh, inheritance and really was saying to the father, I wish you were dead. You know, I'm, I'm out of here. But when the son came back, he was coming back with, you know, this whole village knowing what was going on. But the father ran, picking up his robe. And so that was a shameful thing for a man to do that. And so when the father did that, all eyes were not on the son anymore. All eyes were on the father. And this is what Jesus did. He, if you recall, in Middle Eastern culture, it's very inappropriate to show your legs. Yeah. So that's why it was shameful for the father. And this is what Jesus did for us. The sin no longer was on us, but all of it went on to Jesus. And that's kind of a picture of what the father was demonstrating, is I'll take the shame. And, and, and so often, you know, our kids blow it. But what the Lord is saying is have that heart that says, you know, I'm coming to, I'm, I'm accepting you. You're always accepted, even when they've gone off and they've made their mistakes. And so the other thing is we are looking at, when we are supporting them, we look at separating their behavior and the child. The child is not their sin. We have to really... You know, the child is not a loser. There is something about the child and his behavior, but he is still a child of God. We separate the sin from the sinner. We disapprove of the behavior, but we don't disapprove of the child. That's what support looks like. So let's look at what does a confident child look like? You have this uh, in your notes, and so we can fill that out. The first thing is that in the foundations... A confident child knows that they are loved. And that is one of the most basic human needs. We may not be able to give them everything they want. They may not be able to do everything they want because we can't afford it, but we can certainly give enough love. And you know, that love sustains them. It sustains them through difficult times. For some yeah. of you, you can flip over on the back side of your notes and you'll see this you'll table. See this, this page. The second thing is there's an acceptance of themselves. They like themselves. They like themselves. You want to put that? Yes. You know, when Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself, he didn't say love your neighbor more than yourself. He said, love your neighbor as yourself. He wants you to love yourself. He wants our kids to love themselves. The third thing is they're sure of their beliefs. They're confident of their convictions. That they can say, no, this is what I believe is right, or this is what I believe is wrong. 
And then they build on that. The next thing is freedom of expression. Their opinions are heard. That they have the ability to share and to be accepted, even if their opinions are different. Then they're willing to venture and take risks. They're willing to try new things. And you know, that's, that's the sign of a confident child. I'm going to try this. I don't know if I'm going to be good at it, but I'm going to try it anyway. And from all of that, they have the strength to stand alone. You know, we talked a little bit about Nicole and about how she was not able to say no. But later on in life, she was able to stand alone. And I remember when she was in fifth grade, there was all this drama in her fifth grade class. They had like 25 girls and five boys. <laughs> and so the girls were divided, you know, on some issue. And so you had this number of girls here and this number of girls here. And there was just drama going on for a long time. Um, Lawrence is in middle school teacher. You know what that's like. Oh, the girls got drama, right? But Nicole did not join either group. And one of the teachers said to me, your daughter would rather walk alone and stand alone than join any of those groups. She was just like, mom, I don't believe in that, and I don't believe that, and I'm not going to be a part of that. To stand alone. And that's hard when you're in middle school, because you want everybody to accept you, right? But she was able to do that. The next one is that they fear God versus the fear of man. Tara, uh, a couple years ago, we were in, no, I think it was just last year, anyway, we were in Portland, and we were downtown having coffee. And I have a video clipping of her, and she's talking to her dad, and she's telling her dad that there's this controversial issue, the issue of same-sex marriage, and it was going, and you know, it's being discussed in her school. And she said, "I'm so ready. I'm so ready. Like, I'm going to just share how I feel. This is how I feel. I, you know, she feared God more than man. And, and I thought, man, this is Portland. I don't know if you know anything about Portland. It's one of the most liberal." Uh, cities in, in the United States, uh, in Portland, anything goes. You know, one of the, their mottos is keep Portland weird, and I have to tell you, <laughs> it is weird. You know, my, Nicole said, it's the only place that when Halloween comes, you're not sure, is that really a costume or is that how you really dress? You know, <laughs> so I mean, it's, she wasn't sure. But Nicole Tara was just like, yeah, Dad, I'm so ready. I'm so ready to share what I feel. See, there's a fear of man more than there is a fear of God. I mean, a fear of God more than there is a fear of man. And finally, they have peace with God. You know, don't you want your children to walk in peace? You don't want them to be striving and anxious and unsure and lack confidence about who they are and what they rep who they represent? This is what a confident child looks like. That's what we want to strive for as parents. Amen? Okay, let's go down to the next page. We want to talk about building power, building your child's confidence. The first one, the first point is the family helps children identify their strengths. So it's the power of the family. Again, I want to go back to what I said. The family is the building block of society. We don't realize in our little household that when we build a godly family, the kind of effect that's going to have on the world. We just think we're doing life at home and we're 
you know, we're teaching our kids about God and we're trying to be consistent and balanced. And you won't, I have to say, you know, from the other end, now that I have adult children, you don't see the rewards right away. You might see a little bit, but when they leave home and they're confident and they're moving in their strength and they're living out their destiny, you get to see, oh, all of that was worth it. It was all worth it. And so I want to encourage you when you don't see the rewards that you are going to see the rewards. God's going to be able to give, give that to you. So the family helps children identify their strengths. This is the next one. And how do we do that? We encourage them to explore their, their abilities and their talents, and we celebrate their victories and stabilize them through defeats. I remember when Tara and Nicole were both in swimming. As I told you, Nicole was more like the basketball player, and we actually talked about it recently. I mean, she's 22 now. I mean, she quit swimming when she was like, I don't know, 12 or something. And she's just like, I don't want to swim. And... I was thinking, man, you know, in my heart, like, no, you don't swim. <laughs> well, the Lord said, Terry, zip it. You know, he said, uh, let her find her way. And, you know, of course, she found her way through music. She's a classical singer now. But we need to be able to encourage them to, to move in their strengths and in their abilities. And we have to try to find, help them call that out. And they may want to try something new and then fail at it, but that's okay, too. That's a way of discovery. And so James Dobson, one time, we were listening to this. He said, you know, if your kid says, I want to try soccer, and you go out and you buy all the soccer stuff, and, you know, he put him in the, in the soccer team, and then he hates it. Don't go, oh, man, you know, all that money that we spent, da, da, da. No, Dad, I, I want to try baseball. So you go out and you buy everything for the baseball sport, you know, and they just are trying to find their way, and, and, and you're teaching them to risk finding some new things, you know, learning how to, to discover who they are, and so it's important that we help them to, to explore and to be a part of that, you know, not, I, uh, when, when she would sing in the house when she was young, Nicole did, and Tara would go, Nicole, be quiet, and we'd like, no, don't say that. She likes to sing, and she would sing and sing and sing. And then she went into middle school, and then she would sing, and then in high school, and then she'd be in these plays, and then she'd lead worship, and then she went off to college, and she majored in music. And that was who she was, and we have to encourage that. So the power of the family. The family also helps children establish their significance. The next one. Confirming their worth before God and validating their life contributions. You know, and having these celebrations, um, when they have ex excelled or succeeded or just even little things like, oh, you got A honor roll. You, know, you celebrate that. They won the game. You celebrate that. Uh, you're part of a team and you did well. You know, there's, we want to be able to help them establish that they are significant. They have something to contribute to the world, to their family, to their teachers, to their classmates. They are significant because a child needs to know that I have been welcomed onto the earth and I have something to give. The next one is the family helps children maintain their stability, providing a home, a, a significant constant, and building family traditions. Um, our kids, you know, have been off to college for the last six years, and uh, every time they come home, they come home for Christmas. Praise the Lord. He always provides that they can at least come home for that short period of time. 
And we have traditions. And in fact, we were decorating the tree yesterday, and Nicole goes, you know, I want to establish a new tradition. And so they, they know the tradition in the morning is that we make breakfast together, and we open up this envelope. Every year we write down what is our gift to Jesus, and we want to look at, did we give it to Jesus? You know, what did we write last year? And we write a new thing about what is our gift to Jesus for 2017. We read the Christmas story, and... Uh, and then, and then we get together and open presents. And when we open presents, everybody takes turns so we could, everybody can see and celebrate that one person's present. It was unlike my home. Oh, did I skip something? Security. I'm sorry. Was that in there? Go, go back. Uh, no, I don't think it is. Oh, it's not in there. I'm sorry. Okay, so that, I'll go back to that one in a minute. But, um, you know, even birthdays have a tradition. And, and, and so the kids know that there is something about family that, that, that is, uh, go to the next one, yeah, that keeps them stable. And it was so funny, yesterday we were, we were decorating the tree, and Nicole goes, you know, I want to start a new tradition. And uh, it was something about opening the presents, or skipping the Christmas story, and we'll, 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 uh, we'll read that the night before. And I said, you just want to get to the present part for, quicker on the next day. And she says, no, you know, because Jesus, you know, he was born like in the evening, and uh, on and on, and we're like, well, yeah, all right, Nicole, you just want to get to the presents faster. But, you know, it's, there's just something about traditions, you know, that make a child feel very uh, stable about home. The, going back to the other one, the family helps children by affirming their security. They establish unconditional belonging, and home becomes a safe refuge. We want it to be that our children know that home is a place of safety, it's a place of peace, it's a place of refuge. When the kids were in high school, it was funny, uh, after school, the kids, some of their friends would stay back after school, but the kids couldn't wait to come home. And so one time they brought their friends home with them, and the friends said, oh, no wonder why you want to come home. Because our home would be quiet and peaceful, and it was like, that's what you want to come home to. And it provides a sense of security. By the way, I always say this, but make your home the party place. If you have older children, you know, and they're always at somebody else's house, it's probably because somebody else's house is offering something that they want. So you offer something that everybody wants. And if you want, and so I remember we, we, you know, we built a two-bedroom house because we wanted to know that I could stay home when the kids were born. And so we didn't build a big house. We just built a house that we could pay on one income so I could stay home. As, we, as the kids got older, we only had two bedrooms. And so I wanted the girls to each have their room. So we rented out our home and we moved to a townhouse. And one of the things I looked for when I, when I looked for a home is a huge living room. Because I don't care if the rooms are small, but I want, all my, I want my kids to bring all their friends home. And so my house became the party place. And I could go upstairs and sleep, and I knew my kids were downstairs, and I knew they were having fun with their friends. And, they, and so make your house the party place. And you'll, you know, your kids won't, first of all, it's serving the, the other kids, but secondly, you offer something so that your kids are at home and you know where they're at. And so that's kind of a little uh, thing that we, used, that we did. And so, so again, stability, I'm going to go back. The first one is helps identify their strengths. 
We help them find their significance. The family helps children by affirming their security. And then the family helps children maintain their stability. The second thing in building your child's confidence is having um, the power of the family. The second is the power of a game plan. This is really talking about having a unity in your home where you operate as a team. Uh, sometimes life can get so busy, we're all going in very different directions. And it takes some leadership and it takes some intentionality and purposefulness to make sure that we're working together as a family. And so I remember homework. The daily routine in our family was homework was a family thing. And so I would be involved and I would ask them, you know, do you have homework? What is your homework? What are you supposed to do? Do you have any questions? Where are you at? Okay, let's sit down. And then I'd be going around the house doing my thing, but every once in a while I'd kind of peek over their shoulder and just monitor what's happening. You know, that they're on task, they don't have any questions, and just providing a, a, a glass of water, some milk and cookies, whatever, just encourage, it was, it was a family thing that we were doing. And so that's the idea of a game plan, is that we're a team. Earlier, I kind of joked. I said, remember when their sport was your sport? I mean, every day we were chauffeuring, taking them to swim practice or basketball practice or whatever. And, you know, when they had games for basketball, we were like their number one cheerleaders. And then after, and when they were in middle school, Nicole was part of a terrible team. They lost every single game. And so Terry and I would just give each other the look during the game going, okay, what are we going to say when we get in the car after this game? We could see they were losing, and we already started thinking, what are we going to say in the, that we didn't say before? Yeah, and so, you know, we're wanting her to keep her confidence up and for her to not lose heart and to keep a different focus, which was just um, honing in her skill and perfecting her skill. And later that paid off, but it wouldn't have happened if, unless we were there always encouraging and being a team. And it wasn't, it wasn't even just about the basketball team. It was about our family and just um, maintaining this, um, this kind of positivity about being together in the things that we're doing. So having a game plan. And this next one is uh, remember the uniqueness of each child. You know, sometimes parents can vicariously live life through their kids. And we may have some unfulfilled dreams that we wished we had lived out, but now I have a second chance maybe to live it out through my children. And I, I've met many children who they're living out their parents' dream. You know, my dad wanted me to major in engineering. <clears throat> and my dad wanted me to uh, be an architect or whatever. Um, I, know a, <clears throat> I know one person, I won't say the occupation, you might figure out who it is, but he's in an amazing occupation that most people would want, but he hates it. I'm like, why did you do it? My dad wants me to do it. Actually, uh, I'll Go ahead. Nicole, when we took her to the University of Portland to get her settled, we were sitting in the auditorium because the president was addressing all the new freshmen, and she turned to me and she said, Mom, she said most of my friends couldn't come here because uh, if they did not major in what their parents wanted. I said, like what? She's like, oh, like nursing and engineering. And she goes, you know, I'm just majoring in music. And I turned to her and I said, Nicole, you go for it. I said, your dad and I are behind you. And that whatever it takes for you, you follow your passion. You know, we, we don't want a, an adult later who is not living out their destiny because they're living out their parents' destiny. 
I have to just say, we have seen many people who um, are involved in what we call child-centered parenting. And what that means is that everything is centered on the child, and there's nothing wrong with that as we guide them, but not to the point where we want them to live out our dreams. Does that make sense? Yeah, they have to be their own person. Yeah, rather than the child-parent-centered uh, home, what we want to develop is the Christ-centered home. And so that he's the head and everything flows down from him. Life, joy, peace, blessing flows down from the top down. Flows from God through mom and dad to the kids. And then we're in the proper order of God's kingdom. Amen. And so we've been looking at how to build your child's confidence through the power of the family, the power of a game plan. And then there is the power of the blessing. In Genesis, and you can write this down if it's not in there. Is it Genesis 49, 26? Do you have that in your notes? Yeah, if you look that up, it's about Jacob, and he has 12 sons, and he's blessing each of his sons. He's calling them forth. You know, Judah, you are this, and, and, and uh, uh, Joseph, you are this, and he's blessing. And I remember, um, just in our family, I never really realized it till I looked at this further, but my parents used to bless us all the time. But we didn't see that as, you know, we didn't know it was the blessing. But every time we would be doing something new, like, oh, we're going into middle school now. You know, there would be a blessing. Or now we graduated, and now we're going to go into high school. Or, there just, would, or just the first day of school. Yeah, just the first day of school. And I remember them coming to the house when Tara was going to go into K-5. And I was like, what are you guys doing here? Oh, we just want to bless her. You know, there was a, there's something about the power of a blessing, to be able to speak it over your child through verbal or written or physical affection. And... Um, even as an adult, I think I was 27, 28, when I wanted to go for my master's, and my mom would say, you know, you can do it. You can do it. You know, 27. Okay, imagine this, right? I don't start till 42. <laughs> so I go back to school when I'm 42 to get my master's. And the, the month that I started is the month that my mother passed away. And yet, I could not forget the words. You can do it. You can do it. I believe in you. And so I went, and even as she, when she was not here any longer, the blessing that she kept speaking out followed me all the way to graduation. That's the power that, they, that our words have over our children. So we can give that blessing in many different ways. One is through verbal encouragement. You know, you can do it. You know, Mark always says, we always joke with Nicole, you can do it, Nicole. <laughs> you can do it, Nicole. We used to say that when she was a little kid. And now, you know, when she's older, we're just like, she, she throws out an idea. We're like, you know what, Nicole, you can do it. Yeah, you totally, you know, I'm on board. And so we're constantly encouraging the kids by written notes. I used to write notes and put it in their lunch pail. And they'd get to school and they'd open it up. And I'd just have a word of encouragement for them, you know, or something special or physical affection. Just being there to hug them. And especially when they're down, just to give them that hug. And uh, by the way, you can give your grown children your adult children hugs, they'll still kind of come right into you and just melt into your arms. And when the kids come home from college, it's so funny. The first thing we do is we go into the living room. I'll be on one couch, and Mark will be on the other couch, and one of them will come laying on our lap. And I'll sit there, and, and you know, we just stroke them. And they're like in their 20s already, but there's something like, I, I'm home. I can fill up here before I go back out to the world. And so there's, there's that physical affection expand their horizons you know speak to them about things that 
maybe have not been seen yet. You know, it's like, I see you doing this. I see you doing that. Yes, you can. Expand the horizons. When Nicole was 17 years old, Tara was already in college, and Tara was in London. And I knew they were very close. And Nicole was at a time going through a difficult time. She was going through a depression. And I said, hey, Nicole, you want to go see your sister? Now, that was a lot for me to say because I'm sending my 17-year-old off to London. I haven't even been there. I, I have no idea. And uh, she's like, yeah. I was like, okay. Because my intention was I wanted her to see that there's a big world out there, that this is not it. And she did go. And when she came back, was just super encouraged and has been back to London two other times. So she's been there three times. Went to Italy by herself and, and, and uh, went to a school there where she was learning Italian and how to sing in, in Italian. And, um, and now she actually says, you know, I might go to school in the UK. I'm like, okay. You know, she sees the large picture. So expand their horizons even just by talking about it. And then finally express their joy of following God's plan for their lives. And as they share with you what they would like to do, you can dream with them and express your joy with them that, yes, I see you doing this, and, this and, and, and if this is God's plan, I'm there. I'm there with you in it. As we talk about the power of the blessing, there's a good book that we'd like to recommend to you. Maybe some of you have heard it. It's called The Blessing by Gary Smalley. How many of you have read that book, The Blessing? Okay, a couple Please of you. Please read it, yes. Yeah, in there he talks about um, just the power of how that can be so life-giving. And I want to encourage you, if you haven't read that book, to get it. It's a great read. I, I, in fact, I would say probably uh, one of the must-reads for every Christian, The Power of the Blessing. Uh, Gary Smalley, S-M-A-L-L-E-Y or L-L-Y. Gary Smalley. It's, just, it's a small book, but it's called The Blessing. Yeah, The Blessing is something that you read about in the Old Testament that was passed on from God to the Father to the kids and powerful to make a difference in life.